Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Mark Thanks chapter 6, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense with him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could not do and he could do no miracle there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Amen. I want to talk to you guys about Based in these, this text, it seems like it's not that the story is not really that big a deal. He, he goes into his hometown. They don't really receive him. And so he says, all right, I'm somewhere else. And that's essentially what happens. But there's, a, there's a something that we need, to, we need to face here. And it's the reason why I think we, we lose the intimacy with God that we should, should have. And that is that there is danger in familiarity. And that's the text of the, that's the, the uh, title of the text today, or the teaching, as it were, the dangers of familiarity. We should avoid familiarity with God. Now, that's, that's not going to make much sense to you if you look at the actual definition. The definition of familiarity is to, is to be of close acquaintance and knowledge of someone creating intimacy. And so it seems like familiarity is what we would need or what we would desire and what we would chase. But we're not familiar in this way. We're, we end up being familiar with God because we haven't stewarded familiarity and intimacy the way that we should. We allow our familiarity, instead of creating intimacy, to create distance instead. And so I want to speak against that. I want to talk about how do we get from who we were when we got saved, when we gave our life to the Lord, when we first tasted grace. Do you guys remember that moment? Amen. Your life was different. There's something about it. You were excited. You had tasted grace. You began to do what people that are excited about things do, and that is recruit the people around you. If you do something fun or you did something fun and you're starting to get engaged in it, you want other people around you to be engaged in it too because you care about them. And so you're so incredibly excited about what God has done in you that you want everyone else to be engaged in relationship with him too. But at some point between then and now where we should increase in our intimacy, we've allowed our familiarity to decrease our intimacy. And there's real danger in that. And we see this moving from 
blessing to disobedience to familiarity throughout Scripture. Specifically, I love the book Judges. Um, I've taught through Judges a couple of times. And this is what I like about Judges. God's always faithful, always shows himself faithful, always sends someone to save. But this is, it's the cycle of disobedience within Judges, the consistent cycle of disobedience that, that intrigues me. You'll see God's people blessed by God. This is, what, this is the landscape of Judges. You see, and really, Christendom and Old Testament, just all the way across the landscape of it all. You see God blessing his people. And as God blesses his people, the people are faithful. And in their faithfulness, God continues to bless them. And so he, they worship as, as according to the word of God, according to what God tells them and how God tells them. And then they begin to take his blessings for granted. We see this generationally even now today. They'll say, tough men make good times. Good times make weak men. And so we see this through the landscape of Scripture. God blesses. People take those blessings for granted. They become disobedient. And they start seeking after other gods. God not having his people in rebellion takes his hands off of them. When he takes his hands off of them, people feel the weight and the pressure of not having God's blessing on them, and they come to a place ultimately of brokenness and repentance, and God begins to pour out blessing again. And we see this over and over and over and over again. How does this happen? And it doesn't just happen in the Old Testament. It happens in our own life. God blessed us. We began taking those blessings for granted. In our Doing that, we start seeking after our own ideals, our own small g gods. We, were worship, we worship idols by our very nature. We are created worshipers. And when we become too familiar with God, we find something to worship. And usually it's whatever God blessed us with that we end up worshiping. God's not going to be having anything else as the focus of our worship. So he takes his hand off of us. As he takes his hand off of us, we're crushed. In our crushing, we repent. Over and over and over, I've seen it in my own life. My wife and I jokingly call it, people are blessed out of their Jesus. They come to church, man, they're broken, they're upside down. Something's happened tragically in their world. And they start, God starts just pouring out blessings upon blessings on them. And then God blesses them with an opportunity for a job or whatever. And then in that opportunity, they start prioritizing that opportunity or that blessing over the blessor. And then they fall. Why? Because between the blessing and disobedience, familiarity happened. We didn't use the blessings of God to press into God. We allowed the blessings of God to separate us from God because we would prefer the presence of God, P-R-S-E-N-T-S, over the presence, E-N-C-E, of God. And we should do better. And I think this passage is intent to show us that we need to steward our intimacy so that our intimacy doesn't become familiarity 
and it creates separation where there should be intimacy. And so I'm going to talk about this passage because I am, quite honestly, saddened, frustrated, sometimes angry that people know the same God that I know blessed the same as I've been blessed and don't respond appropriately. And I don't understand it. But I know we can do better. And so the first thing I'm going to tell you is familiarity diminishes the ministry. Number one danger of familiarity, it diminishes ministry. Let me read this to you. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as this performed by his, and such miracles as these performed by his hands. So first, let me tell you, they were Jesus came home, which is where he was going. He went back to his hometown. And it says the people were astonished with Jesus. More specifically, what Jesus was doing. He said, man, he went into the synagogue, which we know is because of some of the teachings that I've taught out of Mark already, that his ministry was marked, was consumed normative behavior that he would go into synagogues, that he would teach and preach. And so as he had always done, he whatever city he was in, he walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he begins to teach. And they are absolutely astonished. Now, this word particular means it, it was mind-blowing to them. They looked at this person that they'd always known that, according to this text, said incredible things, full of wisdom, and was able to perform miracles. And they were wondering, who is this guy? They were blown away by his teaching, his wisdom, his miracles because they had allowed themselves to become familiar with Jesus. Now, let me tell you, this isn't the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry would have gone across the country by now, or at least the reputation of it. So when he got home, people would know who he was, what he had accomplished, and what he'd been up to. We've already talked about he, he took the, he took the, the legion and commanded the legion out of the demoniac. He had performed, performed many miracles. He had healed many people. He had, he had done the work of the ministry. And yet they didn't take this into account. What's sad is this isn't the first time Jesus went to his hometown. In Luke chapter 4, it says it starts with, he went, he went into Galilee, he went into the synagogue on Sunday and began to teach, but that's or the Sabbath and began to teach, but that's when the familiarity stops. The story in Luke 4 happens immediately after he comes out of the desert. This instance is long before, long after that, because he's already performed so many miracles, already done so much ministry. So he comes in the first time in Luke chapter 4 and begins to teach, and then he proclaims by reading the scrolls from Isaiah 61 who he was, and he said, today this is fulfilled in your presence. So they told him, I'm God. I'm the one that they told you I would be, that they, they, they told you was coming. I am the Messiah. 
They got angry. First, they were amazed, like here, and then they got angry. And then they tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. And it says he just walked out amongst them and left. Why do I tell you that story? Because this isn't the first time they've seen him. But their response the second time was the same as it was the first time. They refused to accept who he was regardless of what they had seen of him. How many of us refuse to see who Jesus is and what he's capable of because we're familiar with him? Because we, we just expect God to show up on our behalf. And it destroys the ministry that Jesus desires to do in us. They missed what Jesus was trying to show them. And that is that Jesus is God. And then they became dismissive. They said this. They gave all the reasons why Jesus wasn't qualified. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They had this, who's this guy? I know this guy. Me and Jesus used to go fishing together. Me and Jesus used to go camping together. We used to hang out together after school. I know him. He didn't go to rabbi school. He's a stonemason or a carpenter, more likely a stonemason. Who's this guy to be telling me what to do? But we do the same thing. We become so familiar that Jesus is with, that we decide to instead of press into God, we come up with all these reasons that create stumbling blocks for us that allows us to keep separation and distance. And we can do better. God wants to do so many incredible things in our life. But our unwillingness to accept who he is, that he is God, diminishes his want to. But it's our fault. It's not his fault. I, I, I hear more than I care to from us, people doing the same thing. We read the word. How many of you guys have heard this text before? probably six, eight, 10, 30, 70 times. We hear the word, we become familiar with it, and when I call out the text, you're all, oh yeah, I've read that. But just because you read it doesn't mean all you, you, you know all that's in it. Because you doesn't, doesn't mean you understand the depth of it. Doesn't mean that it's not alive and active. And although you might have been taught a principle, there's a second principle or another principle that's applicable to your life. So you're diminishing because of your familiarity what the Word of God is trying to say to us. Instead, we put stumbling blocks like, this is Jesus, but instead we say, no, I've read this passage. But we do the same thing with our pastors and those in authority over us. And I hesitate to say this because it makes me look, it makes me feel a little weird to say, y'all need to pay attention to me, but you do. We say this, we're all, I know the pastor. We're friends with him. He's taught this message before. 
And so we stop listening to him, and we end up saying something stupid, like, my pastor can't feed me anymore. He's got no new revelation. It's, he's not feeding me anymore. fact of the matter is, it's my, my job to feed you. That's right. It's my con- job to confirm that you're feeding yourself. So we say silly stuff like that because we've become familiar. The fact of the matter is, my voice hasn't diminished. God still, for whatever reason, and I say this in humility, for whatever reason, has still decided to give me wisdom and revelation into the Word. But for some reason, you've become so familiar, the church becomes so familiar with their pastor that they say stuff like, he's not feeding me anymore. Or they don't love me like they used to. Let me tell you, we loved you like we've always loved you. But you've become so familiar with the love that we have for you that you decide somebody else is going to love you better. Can I tell you, this is going to sound so ugly. I'm the most available pastor I know. And I have people regularly say, you're not available enough. I'm going to go down the street to such and such a church. Where there's like 1,500 people. You think I'm not available? That brother's not available. But you've allowed your familiarity to breed a lie in you. And instead of creating intimacy, it's created separation. Amen? Amen. We diminish the ministry that God wants to do in us because we want to create a stumbling block as an excuse as to why we can't receive. That's exactly what they were doing here. And I hate to say it again, but we can do better. Why do we do this? Because we underestimate things which are familiar to us. It's the reason why the people that we know are the hardest people for us to reach for Jesus. They don't value what you have. I've got people in my family that my prayer includes God. Shake them loose. I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel to them. But the vast majority of the prayers I pray for them in regard to the gospel are send someone in their path that they will listen to. Because I know they undervalue me because this is what they expect me to say. And we've all been there. If we've tried to witness to our family. But we need to start Stop underestimating the value of the ministry of Jesus Christ in our life. The value of the word in our life. The value of those God has placed in authority over our life. So that we can receive the ministry that betters us spiritually and physically. So that we might ultimately be who God called us to be. Amen? But that's not the only danger. There's another danger, and that familiarity doesn't just diminish the ministry, it devalues the messenger. It devalues the messenger. 33B through 4. I've already read part of 3. Let me read the last sentence of 3 and 4 to you. And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. In their familiarity, 
They took offense with him. They were offended. They became annoyed and resentful towards him because they refused to see him for who he is. And I would say that you probably have people in your life that are resentful to you because they've become too familiar with who you are, not what you, not who you carry. But part of the reason is just maybe because you've given them purpose to be resentful because your words don't match your witness. But I can assure you that wasn't the problem with Jesus. So how do we get to a place where we value the ministry and we value the messenger? We have to, we have to remember who he is. And before I get into, I'm going to read some verses to you. And before I get into reading these verses, I want to tell you, God, Jesus Christ is infinite, never ending. You are finite. So I don't care at what point you come to the realization that Jesus is God. There's still some infinite understanding of God that you don't understand yet. So you should still push in further. Doesn't matter how much you think Jesus Christ is Lord, his lordship is infinite, and in your finite mind, you're still going to need to pursue. It's praise God, the reason I know, should I live to be 90 years old, I'm going to be as open eyed and in awe of Jesus then as I am now. Because I recognize there is no way I can know everything there is to know about him in this lifetime and more likely in all of eternity. But we have to pursue him. We have to strive after him so that we always get that new information, that new revelation. And I'm not talking about some revelation outside of Scripture. I'm talking about just read the Word. You're, you're, there's too much in the Word that you can't grasp. But we should try. Here's some of those things. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God, which means he has sovereign authority. We talked about that yesterday, that he's capable, he's able, he's all, or last Wednesday, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's all-present. And if we could just understand that, we would never be familiar again. If I could understand that Jesus is right here, he loves me, and his love is infinite because he is God, then I'm never going to grow familiar. I should always be in awe of who he is. Not only is he God, according to the word, he's Savior. Acts 13, 23, from the descendants of this man, they're talking about David, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. You are destined in going to hell. Both by, by your sin, both by birth and by action. But by the plan of God, he sent Jesus to us so that we might ultimately be saved from that which we deserve. People say, what are you saved from? I guarantee you, if you, if you poll nine out of ten people and ask them, what are you saved from? Maybe one of them will tell you what you're saved from. And that's from the damnation of hell that you deserve. That's why Jesus is Savior, because he saved you from what you deserve to have not been saved from. 
And if we get a hold of that, man, we will never be familiar again. If you just sit and ponder on the cross and the beating that he took and the misjudgment that he took and the abuse and the blasphemy that he took, you'll never be familiar again. He's a shepherd. And I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. But let me tell you, there's seven I am statements. He is a shepherd. He is the bread of life, which means he sustains you. He's the light of the world, which drives out darkness. He is the door, the only door that we have the ability to get to God through. He is the resurrection and the life. You think your life ends now? It doesn't because of Jesus Christ. We have a hope of a future. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters except through him. And he is the true vine, the, the source of all of our sustenance. And if we could just grab a hold of that, we would never be familiar again. But here's the great thing. You're never going to grab a hold of that. You're finite. But we should try. He's Lord. He's judge. Meditate on these truths. And you'll never be familiar again. But you know what? I have to make a decision to not be familiar. I can't just... Separation is going to happen by accident, just, just by you not doing anything. It's the reason why in Hebrews it says, be careful that you don't drift away. Because if you're not paying attention, you'll drift away. You have to pay attention to draw near. We should pursue intimacy based on what the word reveals to us who Jesus is. Amen? Finally, familiarity dismisses the miraculous. Five and six. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few people, on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. I want to be perfectly clear about something. It's not that Jesus couldn't do it. That, that, would, that would be completely opposed to the magnificence of who he is. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Does everybody understand that? Matthew's pretty clear about this point in 1358. He said, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. Jesus determines not to act where there is no faith. We have to be people who have faith. And here's why. According to the word of God, it's by faith that we're saved. It's by faith. Our prayers are answered. It's by faith that we're filled with joy and peace because of the hope that we have. It is by faith that we have bold and confident access to God. It is by faith that all things happen to our benefit, including our salvation. Let me tell you, you're saved by grace through what? Faith. Through a declaration that even though I can't physically see it, hold it in my hand, I am insured and confident in the fact because of the spirit inside of me to know that this is absolutely true. That I can be joyful, that I can have peace, that I can have hope, that I can be saved, that I can... 
God will answer my prayers, all of that I have access to him. I know all of these things because the spirit confirms these things in me by faith. Where there is no faith, God removes his, his miracles. So what do we have to do? We have to guard our faith. We have to cultivate our faith. You know how you do that? You know the greatest way to cultivate your faith? The Word of God. I know I sound like a broken record man when I stand up here every Sunday, every Wednesday, and say, read your Bible. But can I tell you, that's the greatest message I have because this Bible reveals to you who Christ Jesus is. Read your Bible, do what it says, is what my pastor told every person that ever got saved under his ministry. Read your Bible and do what it says. Read your Bible and do what it says. And the more I read, the more I hear, the greater my faith is, and the greater my faith is, the more confidently and boldly I'll walk in that which I believe. I'm not looking to dismiss the miraculous things that God wants to do here. I believe that he's as capable and willing to do miraculous things today as he was in the first century church, as he was in his own lifetime. But he operates in a realm of faith, according to our faith. You know what I don't want to happen? I think this is the saddest thing. In verse 6, it says, And he wondered at their unbelief. It's interesting to me that Jesus only wondered twice in the New Testament that you'll find. He wondered at the faith of the centurion, and he wondered at their lack of faith. Faith wonders God. Whether it be your lack of or your abundance of, God sees your faith. But this is the saddest thing. And he was going around the villages teaching. It just ends abruptly. So he left his hometown, said they don't have the faith to believe. So I'm going to go somewhere where maybe they will. I don't want to be a community Jesus leaves because we don't value faith. Because we've allowed ourselves to become familiar by not breeding intimacy. Let this be a warning to us that there's danger in not stewarding the revelation of God we've been given. Amen?